hello there! Welcome back, everybody, to Point of Origin, episode 75. Your facial expression was everything right there. <laughs> the show where we really need to introduce SG-1 to the, uh, what's it called? The trolley problem? <laughs> because I, I feel like, I feel like at least a couple of members are woefully non-informed <laughs> about where responsibility actually lies. One very important member, at the very least. I feel like I wasn't alone in my aggravation every time Jack said the words, we're responsible for this, or we did this to them. Oh no, you're absolutely right. Jack, I, I feel like this episode kind of needed a Jack to function, and unfortunately Jack had to be the one to do it. <laughs> Sorry, when you said it needs a jack to function, I immediately started thinking of a car jack. Car jack, yeah. Uh, he had to go back to Kurt Russell. He had to be Kurt Russell for a day. <laughs> this episode isn't the only one that's done this. Yeah. This isn't even the only show that does this. It's <laughs> yeah. distressingly common to have characters all of a sudden start acting completely against type because they have to have somebody to, <laughs> to cause friction or some sort of plot element. Yeah, and like... I will give the show, the episode, it's not like it comes out of nowhere. You can definitely see where he might have been triggered to revert back a little bit. It's just a little extreme. Yeah, no, it wasn't like he was wildly out of character, but he definitely made some departures that were more convenient to the story. Than yeah, yeah, there's definitely some... Let's ratchet this up a little bit higher for the episode. But, like, it, none of it came out of nowhere. I will give the episode th that at least. So, I'm Mel. And I'm Liz. And today, we are covering Season 4, Episode 9, Scorched Earth, which was written by uh, the duo that we first saw for Window of Opportunity. And they're just going to keep doing duo groups of writing, it seems to be. The duo is Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mooley. Mully. I don't know. It's easier to say the duo, honestly. Eminem. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not the duo. And it's directed by Martin Wood. Which is one of the reasons why this episode, as has happened before, this episode was definitely better than I was anticipating from my memory. And and directing has a lot to do with it. The directing had so much to do with it. Like, you could see how hard he was trying. Up to, like, for example, one of my favorite moments where was when Jack and Sam were talking on a beach that was clearly a, a boat launch point yeah. for a pond lake thing. And I, I couldn't stop giggling because it was impressive how well the shot was actually still, like, done. I swear I could see his ghost hand reaching in and just, like, ever so slightly tilting the camera up into the angle slide. Just ever so slightly <laughs> diagonal. Just be like, no, 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 no. There's no boat launch here. It's fine. We're not in a park. It's fine. You know what that makes me think of? So, you know the original Life on Mars, the, the UK one. The good one. The good one. You know that one shot when he when he's basically you know coming to terms with the fact that he's actually in 1973 and Annie follows him out into the street and he like does that gesture at just like all of 1973 around him like that kind of panicky like look look at where the where the fuck I am and there's that whole like 
cir- camera circle around him to show the whole, you know, the whole 1973 that he's stuck in. Yeah. One of the fun things, uh, fun details about that shot is they only had one side of the street that looked like 1973. And they, the way they filmed it, it looks like they're doing a full rotation around him. They are not because on one side of him is like current modern day and they couldn't show that. But I don't know, I don't remember the exact details because it's been a while since I watched the, uh, the making of stuff for it. But they only had a portion of the street that looked like 1970s, right. but they still made it look like they did a full revolution around him. And it's that kind of clever camera work. Honestly, one of the things that promoted it from shitty status in my memory to, okay, never mind, this is actually not that bad, was pure timing, because last night I watched Red Notice, and let me tell you, that movie was like 30% as good as it thought it was. Red Notice, Red Notice. It's uh, that Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot, I never know how to say her name, and uh, The Rock. They're art thieves. It's it's just a general art heisty kind of movie. Huh. I haven't heard of it at all. It's a Netflix movie. It just got released. It's like just, it's just a Netflix original thing. Oh, is that the thing when I pulled up Netflix to watch Stargate it was trying to show me? Maybe. It's not like it's bad. It's just really, really not good. And the majority that had to do with the fact that I spent so much time just crying over the shitty directing for the action scenes because it was literally the movement was so jerky and erratic and it wasn't good. And there were so many fucking cuts. It was so bad. So imagine my delight when I woke up this morning and you got to watch Martin Wood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I was going through the episode like I always do when I'm rewatching and I'm just flipping through the thing and I'm watching like the scene at the beach where they're walking up just talking or the scene in the tent where the camera goes like boop boop and then pans back around while the dude's talking to the matriarch lady. It just, it, it always stands out to me, the good directing, uh, whenever, you know, Major Wood's around, but it, uh, it <laughs> Major really Wood, out. I forgot about that. <laughs> it really stood out to me today, though, mostly just because of the timing of having watched Red Notice last night. Yeah, that would do it, honestly. Yeah, that catapulted this episode way higher <laughs> in my uh, internal list. It's definitely at least three or four notches higher now, just because in comparison. But, yeah. So in other words, uh, Major Wood, great fucking director. Yeah, he's Oops, he's I was always way too far away from the mic there. One of my favorite things in editing is when I notice that I slowly ease away from the mic. Yeah, as you always I do that. <laughs> All right. Um. But yeah. Uh, I I appreciate this show. Clearly knows that they have good in Major Wood, um, and Deloise, because especially in this season, it's almost entirely them. We're gonna get a couple that aren't them. But, uh, it's almost entirely them. But yeah, so let's just talk about this episode. I know you got a lot of research that you did for this episode. So here's the thing. I did do a lot of research, but it all just kind of came down to, yep, that tracks. Yeah. I'll get into it when we get to the actual, like, terraforming part. That makes sense. Yeah, nothing, like, aside from the fact that at one point in this episode, Sam suddenly knows biology. (laughs) (laughs) None of yeah. the science in this episode really, like, struck me as, wait the fuck on. <laughs> okay, I agree on the science. I was going to disagree. My face there was me about to disagree, and then I realized, no, you're right. The science part isn't my issue. It's the sheer lack of math Yeah. at the end, but I'll get there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll get yeah, there. we'll get there. 
But yeah, so this episode opens up. This is actually a bit of a unique opening uh, because we're opening at the end of a mission, kind of, uh, at the end of a long mission because uh, we find out that these people, the Karens, had to get relocated because they were dying on the planet. That they, they were people, you know, because they look human, but they've got these like yellow eyes that are apparently really sensitive to, like, ozone layers Yeah, okay, so I'm going to very quickly sum this up because that's what that was also something that was confusing to me because this episode is entirely uninterested in explaining it. Yeah. <laughs> so, supposedly they were kidnapped, their ancestors were kidnapped from their- Their home world. Thousands of years ago, they were kidnapped from a planet that has very specific conditions. Somehow- they survived for generations, not in those conditions. Like, there's, there's so many plot holes here. Um, they somehow survived for generations as slave labor without the biologic conditions that they need, the atmospheric conditions that they need to live. And then somehow SG-1 stumbles on them. That's all we get from their species origin, so to speak, culture origin, because supposedly these are humans as well. So I, 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 uh, I don't know how the evolution possibly worked out for mm -hmm. them. This would have had, I mean, it's not impossible because if they spent literally generations on a new planet with a different ozone, then sure, whatever. But that photosensitivity thing with the light, with the eyes is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. an interesting thing. That one, I, the, my research, so to speak, wasn't really helpful one way or the other because it looks like it's kind of a crapshoot. That's all that's like officially able to be determined from what's said on screen. Yeah. All of it's problematic, though, because, again, if these conditions are so important, how were they alive <laughs> to be transplanted? So actually, I have a slight okay. answer to that. Because yeah. um, you... Because specifically because you said it, somehow they survived as slave labor despite these specific conditions. And I immediately flashed back to uh, the Fifth Commandment where uh, the gold had like that shield technology. Okay, you know what? You're right. So that explains that away. Cool. Yeah, I immediately flashed back to that. <laughs> that would make sense. That would make sense in a sci-fi kind of way. You know, Something like, you could... like that was used. But yeah, the whole ozone thing is precious because this planet looks pretty much earth-like yeah and yet has a vastly different light structure apparently and it's apparently okay for terra earth people to be there but also for incarens <laughs> yeah yeah there's just there's a lot of shh in this episode yeah. because if you try to explain any of it it could technically track but only if you don't actually think that hard about it. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, we need this for the issue, like, the because they have a very specific story they want to tell here, and there's got to be a lot of, like, very precarious things that have to hold, and they sort of hold. <laughs> yeah, uh, sort it's of. It's a Jenga tower, just words. don't, like, breathe on it too heavy. <laughs> Literally, yeah, because, like, they very conveniently gloss over where these people were found by SG-1, what the circumstances were leading to their meeting. They gloss over the whole relocation pro- They mm -hmm. gloss over everything. Oh yeah, because this is at the end of like a clearly long yeah. mission because apparently they've already been settled on this planet for like a month at this point. Minimum, because they've started building. Yeah. Well, because she says this is a moon's worth of progress. Yeah, which is, I'm guessing, around um, a month. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming around a month. When Gaeta uh, uses the word west 
later in the episode, I lose my mind just oh, a titch. Yeah. Just a titch. Uh, just because of everything. First off, why would you have West? This planet is a different fucking planet with an entirely different geomagnetic. Yeah. That's definitely one of those casual oopsie exactly. uh, yes. script yes. things where you just don't think about it. It's still funny no, it absolutely when it happens. pings you every time, and I get it. I totally get it. But that is a rough part about writing for these kind of stories. But it falls in line with what we were saying, which is, you know, for example, they always seem to fall back on on the standard of thirty days ish yeah, to a yeah. month. Granted, they don't actually say thirty days here, but they do say a moon cycle. It's all meant to be ish in the same yeah. range, and I just love how there's this galactic constant or whatever. But yeah, so with that all being said. They're there for about a month minimum at that point. Yeah, long enough uh, to establish roughly a month. Some we'll just stuff. go with a month. We'll use our scatter. Earth assumptions for this. It's not the same exact thing, but part of my research today led me to a term that Carl Sagan used, which was called carbon chauvinism, which was uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, nice. you know, arrogant to assume that we, you know, that carbon would be the basis of all life. Yeah, right. I, I kind of think of the same sort of thing of uh, just like timekeeper chauvinism or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they've uh, they've relocated here. They've been here for vaguely a month ish, and they're they're happy. They're settled. Um, this ozone layer is thick enough that the UV rays aren't hurting their eyes. And we see that like th- their matriarch, their elder is like evidence of what would happen on a different planet because she's gone blind and yet seems to be the only one i'm I'm guessing it has to do with age like long term yeah exposure but it is kind of funny that they make a point of showing this higher profile lady who happens to be blind because of this specific condition set they have to live by and yet they also don't showcase any others there's also the possibility that there's this huge story that we're never ever gonna get about how they got free from being slave labor and she was an instrumental part which led to her being exposed to the uv in See, ways I that like her other that. people were not yeah that's cool. that's what i'm going to assume is the story <laughs> she was a hero and went blind because of it protecting her people no i'm here for that that is now a- actually official canon it goes under the same category of until the writers tell me otherwise it's the truth <laughs> I mean, like I said, the trivia mentioned that there was originally an entirely different ending to this episode, mm-hmm. so I could see there being a wildly different story having originally been told. Yeah. It's funny that both episodes featuring the Ankarans, even though one of them is literally only by name, but both episodes featuring them seem to be chopped up story-wise. Oh, that was when they brought him up! I forgot! <laughs> Because it was a throwaway fucking line at the beginning of the episode. I completely forgot. Oh, I actually kind of like that. Yeah, that's also why I keep calling them Ankarans, because I'm pretty sure that's the first pronunciation of them in Watergate. And then throughout this episode, everyone keeps calling them Ankarans. Which is why when uh, they talk about the first in Karen being born, it was the first time they'd said, like, in Karen on this episode. And I was only, like, half listening because I was, like, getting all my pages up to get ready for recording and everything. And I was like, the first Karen to be born. <laughs> and they shall know her as. <laughs> oh, God. Fun fact real quick. The uh, pregnant yeah. lady, her name, her character's name was Nika. I'm guessing someone thought they were clever because her real name is Nikki. <laughs> She's uh, the wife of executive producer Michael Greenberg. So that's, I'm guessing, oh. why she was in this episode. I, it, I do not know if she was actually pregnant. I don't know if it matters. Uh, it doesn't say, but yeah. Well, you know what? For being, um, for knowing somebody to get in this episode, she wasn't bad. 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't give her lines for that reason, but it worked. She did fine being background visual. I mean, I always get brought back to the same eye candy they uh, hired for Touchstone. Oh, she's just God. like this non-Hawaiian princess. Yeah. Who's literally there just to smile. It's like, I kept expecting her to put up Wheel of Fortune letters. <laughs> Do the gesture. Yeah, like, literally. It's like, tell me you at least make six figures for this. No? Cool. Uh, but yeah, I didn't get that vibe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they've resettled them here, and this ozone layer works for their eyes, so no, none of the rest of them are going to go blind. They're all really excited we're already seeing signs that that one guy is a little like twatty. Yeah, like it's, it's he like, had such there's two no reason to be upset right now, dude. Why are you being like this? He's also just kind of like that shitty teen. Yeah, I was like, is he just in his teen years where he's got to be mad about everything? Maybe it was just me. I, I just it's funny. I've seen this episode a few times, and every single time he tells his mother to you know, knock it off with the long speech, I get pissed on her behalf. You should. He's being a brat. He's weirdly unnecessarily rude. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's what they were going for or if I'm just sensitive. I don't know. I just know if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, I honestly would have a similar reaction to what his mom did, which was kind of like, she didn't really respond. She just kind of looked down and said, I meant what I said. Like, she wasn't going <laughs> to let him be a shit. Yeah, good. Good for her, Which dude. was great. I guess, actually, I, now that I say that, I'm guessing that was intended to, then. Yeah, you know, as a way I think to show he's supposed to be shitty. Some development. You know, yeah, develop their characters a little bit with just a little dialogue. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be shitty, um, and I think he's also supposed to help kind of prod the bear when it comes Jack. <laughs> he's serving his purpose in this episode. He's just very annoying every time he's on the screen, but that's his job, so you know, right. whatever. He's, do he's doing his job well. <laughs> But yeah, he's being weirdly shitty while the matriarch is, like, very, very proud of her, her little town settling. And she's like, look at all that we've accomplished in just one moon. Next time you come visit us, it'll be even better. And um, the pregnant wife is, is getting a little chilly. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's getting a little colder. Like, which I actually, so I actually like this tiny bit of, like, background dialogue. Because it, it works for a couple, it does a couple of things. A, it's an immediate introduction to the Nakwita generator for heat that, that, they, that SGC has given this town. Because Chekhov's Nakwita generator. Yeah, which they're going to need, going to quote unquote need later. But it also is kind of, I noticed, I immediately noticed that at the very end of the episode when they were scanning through the possible planets and found the right one i distinctly noticed when he said it's warmer than this one because oh, that's good, yeah, that is a good are touch. built for a warmer planet so this planet has the right ozone layer for them to be okay but it's colder than they would naturally be able to handle which is why sgc had to give them the generator so i actually thought that was a really great little throwaway line of oh it's getting chilly you know it's, i'm getting colder or whatever i really liked it i thought it was a beautiful little subtle piece that's wonderful i only thought it was good because of the immediate contrast of the of, generator well of like her being shivery there's that bit of dialogue where sam says blah 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 blah. the winters are gonna be harsh, harsh. and then there's a big old fire ship i just thought yeah, it was yeah. funny <laughs> that you contrast the image of an icy shitty winter with super dead that is fire. true because immediately as soon as that fire ship so basically sam says the winters are gonna be harsh 
but we've got the generator here and it'll be able to power uh, heat up your whole town for at least a year and then as like almost immediately after they say that someone runs in from out of town and he almost does like the fucking battle of marathon thing where he collapses as soon as he runs in but he's like, it's coming, it's coming, and fast. And they all run out to sea, and there's this giant fucking ship that's just slowly coasting over the surface of the planet and just, like, flamethrowering everything under it. And I like that you... I actually sent you a joke text where I'm like, well, that'll warm you up. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's pretty much all I caught from it because I just didn't catch it later on when they were saying the warmth part. I was, uh, I think I focused like, oh, yeah, I guess that would make sense that you wouldn't want it too warm if you're a different based life form so on. Like, I hadn't even <laughs> gone to the, that part, but yeah. No, I immediately noticed at the end when he was like, it's warmer than this planet. I was like, oh my god, it's so good. I was too busy being mad about that math thing at that that's point. That's fair. That's fair, dude. I'll, I'll get there, because... Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. It's always worse when it's a sci-fi, specifically a space sci-fi writer. Right. Forgets space. Yep. <laughs> so, we actually immediately... Like, we get, we get the threat. We see it moving and, like, vaporizing everything under it. And then we cut to SGC. And I immediately was like, how do they have time to go back to SGC and do a briefing? Because this is probably an issue with, like, the extent of how good they can, what they can do with, you know, computer graphics at this point. But the pace at which it was moving and how far it looked like it was from the town, it looked like it would be there in hours. But apparently, we find out in this briefing, they've got 26 hours before it should reach the town. Yeah, so that was one of the things I didn't look into heavily because, honestly, that was just so much theorizing that I didn't want to even touch it with a 10-foot <laughs> pole. But to sum up a bit of a conundrum that I was also echoing there, you know how in uh, Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings, whatever, yeah. that it's the reason why, you know, like, what, what do your elf eyes see? It's because the elves don't, they can see through the curvature of the earth. Yeah. They don't, yeah, that doesn't exist for them. So they just see flat. So they can mm -hmm. see six miles ahead. Yeah. Um... I don't know anything about this planet, so it's literally impossible in any way, shape, or form. Hence why, again, I didn't even really try. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I also really seriously question how the fuck that timeline worked out with that visual. Yeah, so you know how we've talked before about how, um, we talked about it in Bane. How sometimes, um, an issue with a shot comes down to it being a post-production shot, and you know, whatever the director or writer had visualized, the uh, oh, yeah. people in charge of the makeup or the special effects aren't going to have that same visual and you don't have time to change it or whatever. And I feel like that's what happened here. Like, you know, how how well are you going to be able to communicate to the CGI people exactly how far without also being able to see it? I think it just came down to a technical issue. I'm going to assume he would have to be able to be, like, in the room when they're deciding that. So I feel like he could see it, but I feel like what happened was is you have to sign off on something. Yeah. And say, fuck it. Because, again, it's only going to be up for how long as an actual visual anyway. Exactly, yeah. And you're still trying to get across the major stuff, which is super death fire, big-ass ship, death is coming. Yeah, I feel like there had to be a negotiation between distance and actually being able to see what it's doing. This isn't as annoying, for example, to me, 
as Game of Thrones, like when the uh, distances all of a sudden just non-existent. Yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, everyone's just booking it across a continent, an entire fucking continent. They unlocked all the map locations, and fast travel got turned go. on. Yeah, it must be. Uh, yeah, this that was egregious. <laughs> this was nothing. Yeah, this is just a visuals issue. I'm not nearly as mad about it. I'm not really mad about it at all. I also was kind of like, wait, uh, that was pretty much it. And I did do a little thinking before I went, yeah, no, fuck this. I can't. Yes, yeah, same. I, I, we both kind of went, I don't really buy that, but fine, fine. fine. <laughs> yeah, just like, sure, fine, whatever. There's a scene later where they're on a ship and they're about to be beamed down. And he says, I'm, you know, putting you down now or whatever. And Sam says, but, like she's cut off. But she says it, she pauses, there's a full, like, two seconds of them just standing there waiting while this guy stares straight ahead, and then they're beamed down. I don't know who fucked up, but someone did. Yeah, that's the same sort of editing issue from Spirits, remember? Exactly, exactly. I was, I, I was gonna that's bring that up. Editing, exactly. That's an editing yeah, mistake. Right, but I'm not entirely sure where the responsibility lies there. It doesn't really matter. Either yeah. way... I think we're right on the idea that there had to be, like, you know, a balance <laughs> negotiated on screen yeah. for the visual because clearly the visual department for this episode had their hands full oh, based yeah. on, like, if that's left in, that <laughs> there has to be a reason for it. Just like that really bad audio cut that happened in Foothold that even though the episode's terrific and I don't even care that much about it, on the plane oh, yeah, there's that, that <laughs> audio wrong overlay. It just, it's just wrong. So I laugh because something obviously had to happen this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But just like the visual thing, it's like, yeah, whatever. At the end of the day, I just want it to be, yeah, whatever, and, and, yeah. and I can move on. <laughs> um, so they're, they're back at SGC reporting that they've got 26 hours, and they're trying to figure out what to do in that time. They're like, we're, we're trying, we've left Teal back on the planet to try and get them organized to to leave, but there's no way we can get all of the Incarans off of the planet in that time. Um, and we don't have anywhere else to take them right now. Like, we can hold them in SGC for a little bit, but they can only handle being here for so long. Where were you holding them the first time? Probably wherever they got them from. Why not just go back there temporarily? I'm not saying it's impossible, but I love how they don't mention it. Yeah, they don't right? even say, like, ever since that lava flow destroyed your home. Like, yeah, they don't, something they, like that. They don't do anything. Once again, I, I'm finding myself falling back on our time-old gripe. I would just like a throwaway line. I would just yeah, like right. a simple something. throwaway mm -hmm. line that can explain how the fuck these people are still alive here. Because you had to relocate them. Yeah. And that involved being in a place they couldn't be, supposedly, I would assume at some point, and yet they just conveniently never mention it. Mm -hmm. I have to say, though, they do the less offensive thing throughout this episode, which is a convenient lack of mentioning of things. Yeah, they're just like, make up your own answer exactly. for it. <laughs> so they're, they're all trying to, like, figure out what to do about this. Um, Jack wants to, like, fucking get a, a missile and just shoot it down. And Hammond's like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so. You know how there's that stupid thing in Hollywood where it's like a plane without fuel left in it, for example, or something like uh -huh. that? But that thing where something crashes and explodes in a massive fireball. Yeah. I'm thinking mostly of like Temple of Doom. You know, the, the plane that's completely devoid of all fuel and still manages yeah. to explode in a massive <laughs> fireball? Um, that plane. There's a lot of alcohol on board. 
must have been. Hey, that movie is awful, but it has one terrific scene I love, which is, I hate water, and I hate getting wet, and I hate you! <laughs> Beautiful scene. So, that fireball thing. Yeah. This thing is literally already a fireball. Putting out fire. <laughs> and your plan is to throw more fire and <laughs> to try to blow that up. Okay, for all you know, this thing is literally loaded with, like, hydrazine or something. Or this thing could be, <laughs> this thing could be filled with Zarbombas. Just waiting. It's clearly advanced. It's clearly mastered fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's clearly mastered destruction. So that all leads me to think that stuff on that thing, it, it is dangerous. That mm -hmm. thing, equal sign, danger. I would also just assume that means don't blow it the fuck up. You'd hope. You'd hope. What if that thing is made out of Naquita? Right? Yeah. Vaporize the whole fucking planet. Exactly. You. <laughs> I thought they weren't going to destroy an entire planet until SGU, but apparently... Uh, I'm super far away from the mic again. I got so uh, incensed. I, like, I become a rage diagonal. Yep, you do. But yeah, Jack, you're, you are literally smarter than this. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, Hammond's, like, absolutely not, and they kind of break off for now. They're all trying to, like, figure, you know, they're all kind of splitting off to try and figure things out, to discover information, so they actually know something before they make a decision. And Sam, apparently, um, in the 26 hours that they have, took up biology. Yeah. Not even vaguely in the same realm of hard science. Come on, guys. You could have had Janet looking at it. It still would have been like a, what? But at least she works with biological matter. Yeah, no, <laughs> Frasier would have been a thousand times smarter. You're not wrong. I think that's just like, obviously a budget thing. Well, can't pay her today. Yeah, she so. wasn't in this episode. Are these the same people who gave Daniel a magical anthropology degree? No, that was Deloise. Well, he has an anthropology degree. Not anthropology, sorry, not anthropology, my bad, sorry. Paleontology, 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 paleontology. paleontology. No. Uh, no, that was Deloise, no, I remember uh, now. Deloise. That was so it, it just proves that there's a, a lot of people who think that one science equals another. But yeah, this behavior isn't exactly new. Doesn't no. make it less stupid. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're not wrong, she is not a biologist. I mean, no. I'm not saying she can't be, but she's literally never been specified to be. Not that I'm aware of. No, no, no. God, no. This is the first time she's, she's a physicist. Done... Here's the thing. Every other time she's done something in the realms of biological matter, it's been, been with her wife, with Janet. Yeah, it's been with the mother of her child. Yeah. But this time, I guess they couldn't get Janet. She could have lent a lot to this episode. Honestly, now that I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this makes no fucking sense that she wasn't in this episode. Like the entire thing about their biology being a special factor should have earned her a, a space in the episode. Absolutely. But Sam knows biology now, uh, and she has, she got samples from, like, where the earth was being raised, and she gestures Jack to come look in the mi microscope, and I get why she did it, but again, it's like, Sam, really? it's been four years, you know you're not getting anything out of showing it. I get why she wants to have a visual to explain as she's talking. My favorite part is that he actually just walks right up. Yeah, he does look, but he's like, yeah, I don't fucking... 
My favorite thing is that he saves his sarcastic, like, I don't know, shrug for Daniel a couple seconds later, but I genuinely love how when she gestures for him to take the microscope- He does go look. I do like how he looks over at Daniel and just kind of goes like, oh, here, you, you look, I don't fucking know. And then Daniel yeah, tries to look and then goes, oh yeah, glasses. Yeah. And then goes, fuck, glasses off. Oh, wait. Okay, wait, how do I do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. Um, But yeah, so she's pointing out that there's like microorganisms being left behind. And from this information, they think, well, maybe this is a terraforming project, which makes them think that we might be able to communicate with the ship and be like, hey, yo, you're going to kill these people down here. So, so. <laughs> Space is big. Space is really big. And it is filled with billions <laughs> of planets now granted some aren't not all are terrestrial from the get-go you have to do a lot of you have to do a lot of division while you take out a whole bunch of contenders out of yeah. the running while you're looking for something to terraform but that's not my problem my problem is, is that they went through all of these planets and they decided to take a planet that was a carbon-based planet with an entirely different ecosystem and terraform that into something so drastically different that there's no way in fucking hell that won't interfere or interact with its ozone layer. It's supposedly oh-so-important ozone layer. And I just can't help but wonder how the fuck the writers thought the math worked out for this, that they would so, bypass who knows how many better options. So I have a couple, I have a couple of quote-unquote answers here. One, we don't know how far their ship can travel. Like, I don't care how advanced they are. They're not going to be able to reach all of the planets. Oh, no, 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 no. You have to start off immediately with some big division. Yeah. So here's what I got from the visual clues with what they were doing with the terraforming. And I think, I think it's visual clues and also the way Lotan behaves and the way he answers questions and things. I think the way this ship was set up was to basically entirely restart their planet. And I don't yeah. mean, like, get the planet to where they can live. I mean, like, yeah. they went back to how their planet formed. And they're going to completely re-replicate. So, like, the very first organism that was on our planet before, like, three million years before our ancestors first formed, we're going to start that. We're going to completely re-replicate all of the situations there. So, the ozone layer that it's at now is what it was at when it started. That's what I think. I think it's literally just they need that opening gambit. Yep. And I don't think their race is going to actually exist on that planet for a while. No, no, I, I think agree. they wanted to completely no, replicate the genesis yeah. of their planet. Yeah, no, they're doing a genesis. And I think I, I get that, A, from the files and files of yeah, organisms exactly. yeah. that they had. And B, from how Lotan was just very like, well, that's not how I'm programmed. Like, I think there was a very right. straightforward way that they were programmed. And I don't think they would have... I just think they didn't think about alternatives. Like, hey, this planet is already in the right form for us just to immediately exist here. We might have to do a little bit of adapting, but we could. I think it was just very straightforward. We're going to start a new planet. And all we need is the ozone 
to be the right layer for the opening gambit. And I think that's basically what it comes down to. I agree with everything you're saying. My problem with it (laughs) is the parameters of the terraforming. First off, just the math involved is just so convenient that the pocket of reality that they exist in happen to not only have one of these things, but two. Oh yeah, this is definitely a convenience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's mostly my issue. It can't exist without it. Here's where it just loses it for me. They're Mm -hmm. able to recognize that they can't take a plant that has people on it already. Yeah. But they have no problem wiping out all of the ecosystems already oh, existing on this planet. Oh, that's definitely an issue. Like, that's so super fucked up. Oh, yeah. That's fitting much more with the original intent of this episode, I think. And I think it's like a leftover. Because that's yeah, messed maybe. up. That's one thing that Star Trek does that I love, is that they have parameters. Like, their code of conduct, their prime directive, is that you cannot terraform a plant that has literally any life on it. Because you cannot interfere with the natural evolution of a species. Any. Anything. <laughs> Now, granted, yeah. a- another alien species could do their own thing, whatever, but it does say a lot about them that they they will register people, but not, like, the non-sapient birds on a planet or something like that. Yeah, well, I, I'll say that, like, obviously, when people are talking about themselves, because <laughs> uh, Lotan says they were very peaceful people, it's like, well, just because you didn't start a war with other sapient people doesn't mean you're, like as peaceful as you really think you are and they might have just been that entitled where they're like well if they're not sapient they don't fucking matter you know yep i had i had feelings about the terraforming bit no absolutely i get that and especially that definitely also makes sense if it if the ending was once wildly different Yeah, that's really what I think it is, is that I think there was something else. Because originally the ending of this episode was going to be that Lotan decides to wipe out the, uh, shit. The Incarens? No, not the Incarens, the, uh... Oh, the race? Yeah. Jesus. The fuck are they? Gadmir. Jesus. (laughs) The Gadmir. Gadmir? Yeah, he, uh, like, blows up the ship or something. That's not a great ending. And then the ending is literally, apparently, the ending was supposed to be Jack and Daniel discussing shit back at SGC. And Jack saying, I'm glad I didn't blow up the ship. And Daniel saying, I'm glad you didn't either. Smiling at him and then they walk off into the... (laughs) Yeah, right? That's bad. We can see why they changed it. Yeah. That sounds fucking horrible. (laughs) What the fuck? I feel like someone had a cool idea that just did not translate the paper. No. Mm -mm. Because that's awful. But the good news is they were smart enough to go, wait, this is shit. Let's not do this. That being said, I don't know if the transition was as uh, smooth as they would have liked. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I gotta say, though, I'm so excited for when we finally get around to the Lotan guy, because I love the actor. I love- he does a great job. Well, uh, he's about to show up, because basically, um, SG-1 go back to the planet, and, uh, (laughs) Jack has to be like, yeah, we don't have any- we we don't have any weapons. Uh. (laughs) And shitty teen is, like, starting to blame Jack for, uh, you know, uh, you're the ones who brought us here. You're not even going to defend blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, you would be dead if we didn't bring yeah. you here. You would be dead a moon ago. Shut up. I think, yeah, I'll, I'll say now because it, it starts to, it starts here. I think they definitely have to sacrifice a bit of sense in Jack uh, this episode. But it doesn't come out of completely nowhere. I feel like this 
civilization, these Incarens, especially with the way the, the town was set up, is absolutely set up to kind of remind Jack about the Abaddonians and kind of make him feel like he's got to defend them from another raw. And so maybe he goes a little overboard because he has the same fucking solution in this episode that he does in Stargate. I said he turns into Kurt Russell in this episode. So I think it was supposed to kind of like trigger him back to the movie a little bit. I'm not mad at that explanation. I'm just mad at him. Yeah, yeah, no. I don't blame you. He's a doof. We find out from Teal'c that the Karens will not move. They're like, no, this is our home now. And especially because she's like, you wouldn't be able to get all of us, would you? And they're like, no, not all of you. And she's like, yeah, I'm not leaving. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When it did... wasn't your home a month ago. <laughs> when did we vote that that shit was an admirable trait? Yeah, it's not. Like, when as a when as a people did did we decide that that was advisable? Like, I understand the baseline admiration to be had there. Like, wow, it's really great that she has solidarity and blah blah blah. blah. But you're willing to sacrifice. For all you know, all of you. Like, okay, let's say that you think that there are original Karens out there somewhere maintaining your culture. Great, cool. But what if you're not? What if you're the ones that left? Well, here's first off, you, you've been branched off for a while, so don't tell me you don't have your own slightly into slightly independent culture by now. Oh, absolutely. And the history of your people dies with you. Mm-hmm. So it's cool that you're willing to trade that. I away. mean, I'm sure Daniel has some of it written down. <laughs> He's known them for at least a month. <laughs> yeah, but you you know what I mean. And then no, on absolutely. Top of that, I, I absolutely agree with you. Obviously, this episode will say otherwise eventually, but what is to say that there are other Incarens? Like, for all you know, you could be the only vestige left. Mm -hmm. And you're willing to just, again, toss that. Yeah. For the principle of the matter. And I, I bring you back to my original argument of, oh, we'll die slowly anyway off the planet. Why? Where were you? But, like, why? How, how did you, how were you alive before? <laughs> Why? I mean, there was definitely some... Because they did say there was a timer with in, in, in Watergate. So, like, there's definitely no way they can go back to wherever oh, they yeah. came from. But, but they don't say why at all. So why still counts. Like, we don't know why. We just know they can't go back there. Yeah. I've seen this before in other stuff. I just don't ever understand it. It's not that I don't agree with it. I don't. Mm -hmm. But... I just really struggle to understand yeah. the follow-through. Like, the impulse is one thing. Like, no, I will die with my people. Okay, cool. But it'll literally be all your people then. Oh, okay, well, maybe some of the children should live. You know, like, something. Maybe that yeah. pregnant daughter-in-law of mine. Right? <laughs> Holy fuck, what? Like, you can decide not to abandon the rest of your people, but at least let your village get out. Yeah, I feel like it's odd that everybody is so super down with death by super shit fire. I mean, maybe, especially from the matriarch, definitely not from the shitty teen, but especially from the matriarch, I can definitely see that SG-1 already saved them once. Maybe they're really depending on SG-1 to save them again. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, maybe it's supposed to indicate how tired they are as a people. Yeah. Well, not just because of, like, you know, being subjugated to the Goa Uld for who knows how long. Which also, I love that the Goa Uld went out of their way to go find people who were sensitive to, to radiation. <laughs> like, cool, that's a, that, I mean, that maybe seems like hardy stock. they doing a job where the way their eyes worked was helpful. Yeah, maybe they're like Fury, oh, not Furians, because it's not all Furians. Let's say it was a species trait. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Riddick thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, they get dark vision from it. 
Yeah, sure. I just find it funny that they have this, you know, serious weakness in their physiology. Yeah, right. And they go old, we're like, ooh, that gold. looks stole them. Yeah. I'm gonna kidnap the shit out of that. Hell yeah. Also, I like how someone had to kidnap the already kidnapped humans. Because they were already transported humans. Yeah. The gold really need to, like, get it organized. I know they have the system lords, but they're clearly not that organized. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm actually realizing maybe they aren't supposed to be, maybe originally they weren't supposed to be like human. Maybe these were the guys that Flash Gordon came from. There we go, sure. Remember his eyes were all fucky? They were like yellowy yeah. or whatever. Maybe these were supposed to be oh, like yeah. those kinds of people or something. Maybe. But he didn't have a radiation, so that doesn't make any sense. Maybe they're like cousins to that. Because that sure. he is an established non-human. He is in fact oh, that's an true. alien. Yeah, yeah. So maybe so they were never I'm just human. realizing there really actually isn't anything to say they were human because... Flash Gordon looked virtually identical. And because everybody else they've seen before has been human. But if they've got a home world, like a home world that's suited to them, they probably weren't. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So they go back and find out that the Incarns don't want to move. They go to go check out the ship because they're like, well, if, if it's terraforming, then there's got to be, you know, something intelligent involved with it, right? Uh, let's see if we can talk to them. And they're like, do you think they can hear us? Do you think, oh, and Jack goes, do you think, do they even have ears? And right after he says that, they get teleported up into the ship. And I was like, they got offended, Jack. <laughs> I'm not mad at it, but I also hate it. <laughs> I won't get into it because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. The applied phlebotanum of it is that it's sci-fi. Just say, insert magic technology here. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, sure. It totally tracks. Yeah, they blah, 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 blah. They f somehow knew they were there, but also hadn't registered that they weren't in Karen. In Karen. Because <laughs> that's a surprise moment for him later. He's like, oh, shit, you're not them. Yeah. And it's like, how do you not know? Whatever. Whatever. Sure. Um, I assume that when SG-1 was not on the planet, they scanned. Like, yeah, I just like SG how they didn't home. scan them when they, they came didn't into get the <laughs> Dude, they let these people, they beamed these people into one of their depository places. They let them fiddle with their slides of genetic yeah. data and stuff. Like, you have to assume they were, like, locked. But I guess, but it just proves, I would hope they're, like, shatterproof or something, but that just proves yeah. to me that these people are also allergic to security. That's funny how that mm -hmm. keeps showing up. But mostly it proves to me that they don't scan shit. Because no. these people also had guns. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a different race. They might not recognize them as weapons. Maybe. And, yeah, and, and who's to say they don't have, like, the same transporter stuff that Star Trek did, which was it auto disarms weapons when it detects yeah, them in, in Starfleet anyway, because, you know, duh. I mean, no, it definitely doesn't, because they teleport the bomb up and it doesn't auto disarm. So it. there we go. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like it's a different level of complexity going fair from enough, a enough. basic mechanical projectile weapon to that whole a jerry rigged bomb that's fair i love how everything just becomes a nuke in the end if you need it to be right so they get they get teleported up and they're in this like really white room with kind of cool see-through glowing pillars of light it's honestly very nice it's very cool looking i like it, it. is the redressed set of the interior of thor's ship beliskner Oh, that, you know what? I can see that. It's a great visual. And I honestly, it does a good job of giving the uh, impression of, like, a sterile lab. Yeah. Because it's all very white and there's, like, everything's very smooth. There's no, like, other than, like, the pillars. There's not, like, any sharp edges. It's lots of curves and flat surfaces, like, where you're expecting that not a lot of, like, germs are going to stick and that kind of stuff. Like a you clean know? room. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely constructed to be like that, and it works. It gets the idea across. And they're like, well, uh, the the bioorganism you found in the sample might have been built for sulfur, but there's definitely breathable air here. And they're like, yeah, interesting. And they're walking around, and Sam walks up to one of the walls, and there's definitely, like, an inbuilt shelf there. And she starts to, like, move her hands towards it, and Jack's like, let's not touch anything. And then Daniel immediately <laughs> opens a different drawer. <laughs> I do love Daniel just representing everything Instantly about himself. Instantly touching it. Just being himself. Just being Daniel. Like, he is so... I resonate so hard with that. Yes! So as soon as he does, real quick, so he does it, and then Jack goes, what did I just, just say? say? And then Daniel opens another, another door one. next to and it. His, I love the look on his face of like, oh no, look what happened. Completely on accident. Daniel is literally, you know that one comic of like the cat sitting on a table, yep. and there's like a glass in front of him, and the, the owner's like, don't, and the cat just stares at the owner as they knock the glass off that's daniel <laughs> and it's so good oh my god <laughs> daniel is a cat he is we saw how finicky he got when he got sprayed by water by teal michael shanks is a cat too let's be honest oh i loved that moment <laughs> no, it was terrific it was great daniel was a bright light in this episode oh he was he was he was perfect uh, like I said, Jack definitely had to be, like, the, the dumbass in this episode. Um, but as I said, like, I, I feel like they gave enough of a presentation for showing that he, he was basically reverting back to Kurt Russell in this episode. Like, it's not enjoyable, but I get it. I get it. Uh, but Daniel was a bright light and wonderful in this episode. Sam even does some really nice things. I think everybody, honestly, she doesn't get to do much, but there's some nice subtle things that she does. Um, that's honestly, obviously, down to Amanda Tapping, but... I was just pissed because, once again, Teal'c is in it for, like, five minutes of runtime, it feels like. Oh, yeah, he's barely in it. But when he's in it, he does some nice things, some great things. I did love his smug smile at uh, Jack in the beginning with the, you know, we, we shall name the baby after you, and everybody's just yes! kind of being like... <laughs> Jack's like, ugh. <laughs> so, yeah, they meet. Uh, so a guy walks out, and he looks like an Incarin, and he introduces himself as Lotan, and he's basically explaining that, hey, uh, we're terraforming this planet, and uh, when we started terraforming, there was no sapient life on this planet. Like, we didn't ha we we searched and there was no life forms on this planet. Life forms. There was obviously living stuff on this planet, but you know, they they mean sapient. They don't say sapient, but they mean sapient. And uh, they're like, yeah, well, we we moved them here, and he and he's basically saying, well, uh, we can't stop. We only have enough material to do this once. And he's being very polite about it and explaining the situation. But you know, and he's he's very genial and cordial. Yeah, you know, but and it, yeah, cordial. Uh, but he's definitely got that slight detachment because there's part, there's, you know, people ask him something. He's like, I'm not programmed to do that, that kind of stuff. And they're like, why do you look like an Incarn? And he's like, oh, well, you know, we scanned the life forms that were down here and uh, they created me to uh, more easily facilitate between them, like with something familiar to explain the situation, which is basically y'all got to leave because we're t destroying this planet. And of course, I just like how Jack will sum up Lotan as, in short, he's the PR robot. guy. <laughs> also just a robot. It's like, dude, he is an extremely complex 
creation. He is not a robot. Yeah, I never thought he had any physical form at all. I know people touch him later, but I just thought it was some sort of, like, hard light hologram. I was going with Android because it seemed like that was the generic thing they were going for, but I mm-hmm. like the trivia page I'm reading that calls it a biomechanical life form. Not life form, sorry, yeah. it's biomechanical. Yeah, I mean, that opens it up to all sorts of Yeah, um, exactly. That's answers. both vague enough and also specific enough for yeah, me. Yeah, it's good. But uh, Jack also says he's the PR guy. So basically, like, he can't do anything for us. He's just here to make it look pretty, is Jack's summation of it. Other than he's, he's a robot, he's also, he can't, he, he's not here to help us. He's here to make it sound good. I'm going to take this as the opportunity really fast. Go for it. So, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you mentioned earlier, I, I did a bunch of reading just, you know, just to find out how, what the likelihood of the sulfur-based shit was. Because, you know, as life as we know it is carbon-based. <laughs> We yeah. have theori- We have theories, we scientists, smarter people than me, have theories about hypothetical other biochemistries. Uh, I'll attach the link. But there was a small section that <laughs> was close enough to what I was looking for that I went, cool, so this tracks. <laughs> you know, ish, in science fiction-verse. Yeah. But, uh, but here it is. Uh, sulfur is also able to form long-chain molecules, but suffers from the same high reactivity problems as phosphorus and... Silanes, 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 salinas, maybe. Anyway, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, <laughs> the biological use of sulfur as an alternative to carbon is purely hypothetical, especially because sulfur usually forms only linear chains rather than branched ones. The biological use of sulfur as an electron acceptor is widespread and can be traced back 3.5 billion years on Earth, thus predating the use of molecular oxygen. Uh, Sulfur-reducing bacteria can utilize elemental sulfur instead of oxygen, reducing sulfur to hydrogen sulfide. So in essence, sure. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) Purely hypothetical, but sure. I really do enjoy that somehow these sulfur-based life forms, again, go back to carbon chauvinism there, because I like how I'm like, somehow these things that exist. (laughs) (laughs) Chose Uh, a carbon-based planet to build on. But I just like how they're advanced enough not only to have all the stuff we can see, but also the stuff that we can't see that makes the stuff that we can see, like the fact that they're able to scan and recreate a carbon-based life form. They're crazy advanced. That either shows that they've explored enough to realize that there's a lot of carbon-based life out there, or they're just that fucking versatile. I'm much more inclined to think the first one than the second. Yeah, because they don't seem to be very good at adjusting programming. No, No, they seem very linear. Not like one thought only, because again, you can't be this advanced if you're that fixated. But I think they go, this is the answer, this is the solution, this is what we're doing. They didn't see aggression as a thing. Mm-hmm. So, so they wouldn't understand that what they're doing on this planet with the Karens, there is aggression, yeah. and that would lead to their demise if they couldn't understand it enough to be able to fight sure. back. You know what? I actually like that—that that they literally don't comprehend. So when they say we were a peaceful being, like they think they're still being peaceful, despite the fact that yeah, when you chose this planet, there wasn't sapient life on, but there was still definitely life on here. Yeah, so he he brings them in and basically tells them, you know, like, this race got wiped out because they were peaceful and they got wiped out by another race. And this was, they were advanced enough that they could build this ship as a last-ditch effort to find a planet to terraform and restart. And this is the planet we found, and when we scanned it and chose it, it didn't have any life forms on it. And we only have enough material to terraform one planet. We've started terraforming. We can't stop and find another planet to do this 
Although apparently we can literally pause, leave, and then come back. Yeah, I did think that. I'm like, I sure, I guess. <laughs> I like how you can basically pause terraforming like a DVD. I'm maybe it's uh maybe it's like the um Star Trek ship and you can detach parts of it like they're detaching the saucer living portion to sure. deliver the people. Sure, I I would accept I, something has to happen. Yeah, so he's basically like, yeah, we can't stop. Sorry, <laughs> tell them you know like they have to find somewhere else and like we we can't. The, what was the phrase? They need a very specific kind luck. of living place. They can't go somewhere else. And he's like, oh. That's unfortunate. It just doesn't give them an answer. <laughs> I just like how they'll use uh, tough luck as a thing, that, and he'll come back and even say that is tough luck when they like reinforce later, like that they really they can't go anywhere. They're staying, and he just looks at them and goes, "That is tough luck." I love when he throws that back because it it again it's another like good subtle bit of of writing because when he throws that out. It's after he's adjusted to there also being humans here, like Terrans. So he's like adjusting also to the Terran element. He's he's incorporating more. I like that. I like that he's like I I I, I thought that was nice. He's like a baby animal. He uh matures much faster than a human infant. His first yeah. day of existence, he was very naive, and his second day, he's already running and figuring out yep. complex <laughs> ethical conundrums. Exactly. So uh he. He throws them back down with the more or less tough luck, but he doesn't know that phrase yet. And Jack, this is where Jack blames himself. He's like, oh, we, we did this to them, blah, blah, blah. And this is where it's like, no, Jack, no. <laughs> Which we already had that conversation. So uh, Jack is like, hey, Sam, could you turn that knock with a generator into a bomb? And she's like, I, I maybe, I, I guess. And he basically says, I, I don't remember exactly the lead up. He's, he does kind of insinuate, like, I'm not, I couldn't ask you to do this, so I'm ordering you to yeah, do it. Yeah, I I, I kind of like that. Like, he's making a bad choice here, <laughs> but he's trying to protect Sam with it, too. Another thing I liked about it was that he he's acknowledging, he's letting her know in his way that he is aware that she doesn't want to do this. Because this isn't something that she would volunteer to do. So he's going to order yeah, her to do it. Exactly. Because it isn't something she wants to do. He, he knows she doesn't want to do it. And he knows he doesn't want to ask her to decide whether or not to do it. So he's going to make it his responsibility. I'm ordering you to do it. So I, I like that little bit of wordplay there. Not wordplay, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, the setup yeah. of his, his conversation to her. And I also love just like the raw motion you can hear in the one word she says to him. Like the okay or yes sir. I don't remember exactly what she says. But it's like one word, an acknowledgement. And there's so much rawness in that one word where you can tell how upset she is that she has to do this. And I like it. It's just... Amanda Tapping's a good actress. <laughs> I can almost see her envying Daniel in that moment because Daniel can tell his husband no, and she no. can't. Yeah. And in this moment, I definitely still feel their level of intimacy a little bit more than oh, yeah. other interactions. I was definitely, I know I'm always a shipper, and so I always have to have a grain of salt with any of this time that I feel squee. But I felt a little bit of a squee there because it seemed like they were connecting on a different level. Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, I could definitely see her being like, Fuck. Like, fuck this hierarchical system that I have to mm -hmm. follow. 
Well, I think the way he framed it to her in the first place definitely shows some of that interest. Yeah, exactly. There. Yeah, I just liked it. And um, there are a couple of scenes with them alone later on, again, where she's unhappy about the yeah, planning. Yeah. No, it gets much more and, squeaky like, and much more obvious. Later. She's unhappy, but yeah, so. There's more squeaky later. Yeah. So they go off, she she makes the bomb, and they're going to go off to planet. And Daniel's obviously not fucking happy about this. He's never happy about Daniel using bombs to make his, his solutions. At least unless they're gold world larva. Then he's like, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> um, he's conditional. Yeah. So he's clearly not happy about this. And Jack's like, do you have another option? He's like, well, well, not yet. And he's like, well, until you find one, this is our answer. And he you know, goes off with Sam to plant the bomb. And then Daniel, like, almost immediately turns and walks off and is like, I'm going to go talk to Lotan. And Tiff's like, what are you doing? And Daniel's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go talk to Lotan. I'm going to find another solution. So I'm technically doing what he told me to. <laughs> and Tiff just kind of like, all right, fair enough. You argued your point. <laughs> and just lets him leave. <laughs> I love you can see Teal metaphorically taking a gigantic step back away from that just nope. yeah doing like i'm not a part of this <laughs> not my circus what i love about daniel saying technically i'm doing what he ordered me to is that like even as he's saying that and even as he's using it as an excuse to get away with what he's doing on his face he's got this like huh how novel i'm following orders for once <laughs> like oh shit like even he's impressed <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Daniel, uh, decides to, for once, do as Jack told him to. Hey. I mean, ish. Yeah, it's still a Daniel. And he goes to the ship, you know, gets Lotan to beam him up, and starts, you know, just, like, uh, talking to him. Just, you know. And he he doesn't immediately jump into, hey, I want you to, to stop and save these people. Because this is Daniel. He knows he has to make that connection first, and he knows he has to make Lotan value these people. He knows he needs to manipulate. Yeah, exactly. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I love it. No, because he does he does everything in such a Daniel way. He's doing the right thing, and he's not even doing a bad thing in the process. Yeah. But I, I can't help... This is something I always laugh about is, at the end of the day, people are either manipulative or they don't know that they're manipulative. Exactly. <laughs> like, if you Daniel tell people, like, oh, make sure you smile more. Be not, like, because you're a woman. Like, make sure you smile more because it's just people respond better mm -hmm. to niceness, you know? Kill them with kindness. So, in other words, manipulate them with a false sense of yeah. cheer so they don't get finicky. Like, it's not Absolutely. bad, but it is still manipulation. Daniel's just a lot uh, more Daniel upfront about it. Daniel definitely knows he's manipulating. Exactly. No, Daniel's just much more upfront Daniel's about it. Daniel's aware. He's, he's extremely aware. He's doing it in a kind and a helpful way and i think what it comes down to is i think out of everybody in sg1 he seemed to be the most conscious of the fact that as he makes joke later at the end of this episode he's only a day and a half old give him time to learn like like lotan's like yeah i was just made so like and he's like oh this is an ai and there was a lot of responding at the beginning of i'm not programmed to do that so it's like Lotan just has to learn alternatives. He just has to learn. So that's what it comes down to, is that he's basically, he has to get that first connection with Lotan. And part of that involves Lotan playing some music for Daniel that is apparently native to this race. And he starts playing it and he's like, how do you, how does this sound? And Daniel definitely makes a face like, this is horrid. But he, he goes, it's nice. And he does it in the same tone of voice that, like, a parent tries to, like, quote-unquote, appreciate their child's music. <laughs> like, 
yeah, it's it's great. I love the Spice Girls, honey. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but as soon as Daniel tries to do the nice parent thing of yeah, it's it's wonderful. He goes, it sounds horrible to me. <laughs> and he's Literally, like, have the wrong auditory system for this. Yeah, you have the wrong auditory systems to hear it the correct way, and um, and this is like the first sign. But yeah. So he's basically uh, just trying to, like, you know, talk to him, and and uh, he takes him down. And, and Lotan can even tell that he's like, oh, you're trying to, like, you know, convince me to stop and let these people go. He's like, well, you know, do you want to just go down and see what's about to go? You know, at, at least, you know, you, you scan the Incarans, you became one of them. Don't you want to at least see where they're living and, you know, the, the world that they inhabit right now before you erase it. And he convinces Lotan to come down with him. Meanwhile, Sam and Jack have planted the bomb. And Sam is like, you know, you have oh. to trigger it by this point. Yeah, go ahead. Real quick on that. So they're uh, doing their thing, right? Uh, I love how they clearly take off and land on the same. Like, I'm not sure if it's supposed oh, to be yeah. that they, they went, did the thing, and came back and happened to land in the exact same spot. It could just be that. But it looked like they were trying to be, like, on a different bank. I don't know. But it was just kind of like a fun little shot where it was like, yeah. yeah, hey, cool. Look at that boat launch. Like, look at that handy <laughs> road. Um, But, yeah, so she's, you know, planting the... um. Oh, because one one detail that we left out of um, that happened in the briefing is that, like, actually the 26 hours isn't how long it'll be before it hits the village. The 26 hours is how long it'll be before it hits the gate. It's going to hit the gate before it hits the village. So SG-1 only has 26 hours before they have to leave. Right, so that's that what the sense. actual timer is, really. So they had to set the bomb up, obviously, somewhere in front of the gate so that it would stop it before it gets rid of the gate. So they set the bomb up there, and uh, Sam talks about, like, when it needs to be detonated, how long it'll go for, all that stuff. And she, you know, does the warning of, like, you know, once you set it, it's not going, you can't turn it off again. So you have to be sure, you know, because obviously she doesn't want to do this. She's not happy with this answer. And, you know, he basically, like, takes the detonation, like, yeah, I know, like, he's taking responsibility for this. And they both do a really good job of just acting alone in that scene together. And Daniel takes Lotan down to the, down to the ground, and is just, like, walking him around, and Lotan loves trees now. He's like, oh, these are nice. <laughs> and Daniel explains that, like, yeah, these tend to happen where there's oxygen, they help, blah, 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 blah. He's... Doing yeah, the, the basic, Pacific Northwest like, is gorgeous. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, so just showing him, like, what he's gonna destroy if he terraforms this place. And I do, like I said, I appreciate that Lotan is aware of what Daniel's doing this whole time. But he still likes that he's learning. He's still charmed by the trees. He's still, you know? And meanwhile, while he's out on his nice romantic little walk with Lotan, um, Jack gets back to the, encamp the encampment. And I love that Teal immediately sells Daniel out. Immediately. Because Daniel went to go talk to Lotan. <laughs> like I said, he took one big old step back. He never told Daniel, like, I'll cover you. He just said, cool. Yeah. I knew yeah, well Daniel didn't even ask him to cover him. He just was like, yeah, I'm technically doing what Jack told me to, so like, bye. <laughs> but I just love that Teal just immediately grasped on him. Just like Daniel Jackson went to go talk to Lotan. I loved I like, Jack just like giving it. him that look and he's like what? I didn't disagree with him. Yeah, I, 
oh yeah, I do love that he's also like, I, I also don't like this solution. Like, he, he was kind of right. Yeah, like, Teal barely gets to do anything in this episode, but I like the things he does do. But yeah, so almost immediately after Teal sells Daniel out for going to go talk to Lotan, Lotan and Daniel walk into the, the village like, hey. <laughs> oh, fuck, shit. Sorry, really what? fast. Can I, uh, I wanted yeah, to say this. Speaking of Sam and Jack with the boat launch, that whole thing. Yeah. That mm -hmm. shot is amazing. It's like a semi-tracking shot as they get out of the raft. Uh, my favorite part about it is that Richard Dean Anderson clearly uh, stumbles and almost fell. But he caught himself, and it was fine. It wasn't even that big of a thing. It was more like that John John Wick three moment where he's like trying to assemble the gun, and his hand slips for a moment. It makes it better. It makes it much more much more natural. But he, you know, slightly stumbles, catches himself, gets out of the thing, and so on and so forth. The scene continues. The scene continues. The scene continues. They walk down. They clearly stop on a marker, and it's great. Yeah. Well, like the concept of like keeping a stumble in and just keep it, you know, keep going, all that kind of stuff. It's and it, the show has done other things where like. Um, in at the end of Bane, uh, Teal Teal shooting Daniel with water was not in the script. He, uh, Christopher Judge loaded that up with water and surprised Michael Shanks, and Michael Shanks kept in character to keep that shot because it was great. And like, I I love when um shows will do that, will keep something. So yeah, that was a great shot. <laughs> Good on Major Wood and great on uh, Richard Dean Anderson for stumbling but keeping it together. Yeah. There's a couple of shots throughout the whole thing. My other favorite, though, was that scene in the tent that I already kind of mentioned, where, like, it bounces yeah. between two characters and then does a bit of a, like, a semicircle pan back around. I just... He's amazing! He's amazing. Another great example, um, and it's been a while since I mentioned Psych. <laughs> so it's only fair. Speaking of which, uh, Lotan's in that, in Psych oh, for an episode. Uh, I just had it up. One sec. As soon as you say it, I'll know who he is, but I can't think it of it off the top of my head. It was in one episode. His name, okay. His name was Hiltz Cooler. What's the name of the episode? Sean versus the Red Phantom. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. All right, yeah, no, that, is, that was him. I love him in All everything right. I've seen him in. I, he, was, he, he was the only reason why I kept watching Continuum. I wanted so badly to like Continuum. It just, it, it just... It tried so hard to be the worst show ever, so it was just hard. Um, it was just, you know, it was, it was a, yeah. But I stuck around for a couple of people. Um, mum, 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 but he and was, he one, was of one of them. He was one of them. He was, he was just that good dude type, and you're just team good dude. Aww. But yeah, the reason I brought up Psych is, again, that whole continuing to film despite, like, an accident in the... 65 million years off episode when they discover the t-rex head skeleton and then have to run away from the shots and they run down a pretty steep grass hill while they're running one of them completely loses their footing because it was a wet field with a steep hill of grass and one of them completely loses their footing and like falls on their ass and then immediately gets up and keeps running. And they kept that shot. That's the shot they have, is the one where one of them totally wiped out. And it works. <laughs> yeah. It's not like manufactured stuff is bad, clearly, because like the show is yeah. is that. But his moments are great. manufactured. Yeah. I think it's just a mark of a good actor when they can take those uh, natural elements and use them. I like that. But yeah, so so Daniel walks up with Lotan, and Jack's like, "God damn it, Daniel!" 
So he's like, what? I just wanted to introduce Lotan to the people that, you know, are that are here, you know? Show him what he's doing. Show him the effect and everything. Manipulate. Yeah, manipulate him. And he actually introduces Lotan to the Incarens. I'm sorry, I keep hearing it as a portmanteau of uh, enclosed Karens. Like, you'll find the enclosed Karens here in the tent. Like, seriously, <sighs> I can't not hear it like that. And uh, the matriarch, they're all kind of, like, weirded out that he looks like them. And he explains that, you know, he, he adopted this form to better facilitate between them or whatever, the communication. The matriarch, like, walks up and, like, touches his face. And um, this, to be fair, like, this is actually the moment I realized she was blind. I did not realize she was blind until this moment. And he, he realizes that she is blind. And Daniel immediately uses that as a springboard for, yeah, they go blind if they don't have the kind of ozone layer they have here. Like, it's it's important. They fucking need it. And Lotan's still, like, like you can tell Lotan is starting to learn, like, oh, that sucks. Like, I don't like that, you know, but he's still kind of like, I have a job to do. I'm programmed to do this job, you know? So he's still not totally, like, but you could tell he's... Not even hesitating, but you can tell Daniel is getting to him. He's communicating, and that means there is an opening. And and you can tell that like he's he's thinking about that because of the fact that he's like, I have to go back to my ship. And then Daniel's like, Wait, take me with you. And Jack's like, God damn it, no. I, I got the impression that he uh, that was happenstance around the time that the ship had detected the bomb because like right after that is when yeah, he I says the ship. Yeah, I think that was why he had to go okay, to the cool. ship. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. cool. Because um, almost immediately it's like, oh, the ship has detected a foreign object. You know? Yeah, yeah. It it's it sensed the object, so he had to go back and 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 or interact. With recall, him, you know, recall. What was going on, and Daniel knew what that was and was like, wait, I have so little time to get this through to you. So and. What I like is that, like, he... I love the the uh, hecticness of this, because he's like, I must return to the ship. And Daniel's like, wait, take me with you! <laughs> and I like that Lotan immediately agrees. Like, he does. Well, he has no reason. Daniel hasn't done anything No, I know. I just... I love it. Like, even... It's great. It also speaks to a inherent arrogance in Lotan, because he also knows that there's, like, literally nothing Daniel can do to stop him anyway. So there's that i didn't even get that i just thought it was like daniel's been friendly to him and he likes oh yeah no it is that first and foremost i get that no i get that first and foremost like a careless kind of arrogance like he's not even thinking about it i meant meant it from like a writing standpoint it really just says a lot about his character as a whole is that he's also casually confident because he is the whole time everybody knows that he's already in the position of power like it's entirely up to him what happens he is their god now yeah and it's just great because he's not acting like an arrogant asshole or anything. It's just fun. No. But he still has that casual arrogance as part of his nature because he oh, has yeah, no yeah. problem bringing Daniel along because honestly, what's the worst he can do? Talk to him? Right, exactly. Um, and Jack is obviously, as Daniel goes, wait, take me with you. Jack is equally as hectic. Like, wait, no, because he's like, oh, he sensed the fucking bomb. This, this, this ship is about to fucking go up, and Daniel, you just went into the path of the bomb. Just like when he was yelling into the radio earlier, he's like, God fucking shit, Daniel. Yeah. Oh, look, there was also, uh, when Jack found out that Daniel went to go talk to, uh, Lotan, he was, he did, Radio like, him. He's like, tell me, tell me you're not on that ship. Oh, yeah, and he's like, yeah, I am. But there no, was he, also- No, he's, he's walking in the orchard thing, whatever, and he goes, okay, I'm not on the ship. And it's like, oh, yeah, that fair, was he's great. not I lying, love that. he isn't. Yeah, he's not. 
That was great timing. But uh, before he before he contacted Daniel, there was a part part where I think even before Daniel left, Teal'c was like, "You're not gonna tell him about the bomber." And he was like, "Daniel's like, no, I'm not gonna sell out their plan. I'm just gonna try and give us another option." That's Daniel. Yeah. However, uh, once once the guy once Lotan like identifies that there's a thing there, and he's like, "Is that supposed to blow us up?" You know, like he. Like Lotan knows. Like Lotan's not an idiot. <laughs> he's 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 new, but he's not an idiot. So like Daniel's not going to t sell him out, but he's also not going to like lie if directly confronted with it. And he's like, "Look, there's still time. We can still find a solution to this." And he uh, is basically like, he he gets him to t explain like how they picked this planet out. I think he knows exactly. Uh, well, oh. Sorry, what prompts this is first, he says, but again, I still don't remember exactly what prompted me to say, actually, Lotan, this is literally Daniel's function. I think it's something to do with him Oh, it's when he's with disagreeing with Jack. Yeah, he says you, uh, you're disagreeing oh. with your superior. Because I have a note where I said, Daniel internally wincing at the use of the word superior. Superior, yeah. There we go. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, so it's when the bomb thing happens. When he discovers yeah. the bomb, he's like, oh, you're disagreeing with me, superior. And I was like, you're, oh, a, you're yeah, operating outside of your function, Daniel. It's like, no, actually, that's entirely his function. That's his job on this team is to be like, Jack, that's a bad idea. And I don't have to listen to you because you're not my boss. So, <laughs> but yeah, so, so Daniel's, <laughs> I, I love that it takes until the end of the episode for someone to, and of course, it's Daniel, to be like, okay, you said they were peaceful, right? And he's like, yes. So what's peaceful about wiping out an entire civilization to restart your planet? And it's just that little bit that makes him go, oh, oh no. That is a huge contrast to their, their values. You're right. Shit. Oh no, ethical quandary. Yeah, and he's like, but I can't stop. I, I can only terraform one planet. And Daniel's like, okay, well, how did you pick this planet? And this is where we start going through the crazy math, which we already talked about before. Oh, yeah. Where he starts talking about numbers, where they, they narrowed it down to this number, and then he's like, but I could only, we could only have this kind of thing, so it's down to, it's down to, like, this one. This is the only one that we can do this with, because, like, we had to do one that didn't have safety and life forms, and this was, that was this one before you brought these people here. And Daniel's like, well, did you find any ones that were very similar to this? And he's like, well, I can't choose to terraform one of those other ones and he's like no no not for you for the incarens did you find something similar to this like the same ozone layer that we could take them to because they this isn't their home world like you know if we can find somewhere safely to relocate them all of them and have the time to do that then that's a solution you get to reform this planet you don't kill a whole civilization on this planet to do it what other what other planets do you have that are like this and he goes through and he like starts weeding it down and he goes to like okay this is one we had that this was the only other one that was really an actual option for us to to settle on to terraform it's got the same ozone levels it's a little warmer but that's not to like a bad point just like it's it's a little warmer um but the reason we had to say no to this one is because there's sapient life forms on this planet and he like pulls it up onto the screen and then Daniel like looks at it and he's like I think that's the Karen homeworld. What are the odds? And so uh while all of this is happening on the ship, Jack makes the decision to sacrifice his son for this civilization. And um there's another tiny subtle little 
Tilk moment in this where Jack is thinking about whether to arm the bomb. Because Sam's warning him, like, this is your window. You have to do it now if you're going to. And he knows that Daniel's on that ship. And while he's thinking about it, uh, Teal just very calmly and very matter-of-fact goes, Daniel Jackson made his choice. Basically being like, it's now your turn to make your choice. Daniel made his choice knowing full well what your decision was. I feel like Teal is the only one who actually understands the trolley problem. <laughs> Y'all need some serious fucking therapy. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Jack decides to trigger the bomb. Um, and that's about when Daniel figures out that they know how to take the- They know where the Incarens are from. They can relocate them here. And he's like, oh no, the bomb. Because, <laughs> like, as they figure out the, the, uh, the planet, uh, Lotan's like, oh, that- that- foreign device on the ground has changed um status a little bit is that a problem and daniel's like um yes <laughs> and, and he's like can you do anything about it and daniel's like what and he teleports it onto the ship in front of daniel <laughs> and daniel's like no <laughs> i do love the uh sudden act first ask questions later or during i, I guess process i do like could you defuse a bomb daniel no <laughs> But he's like, oh, so, uh, how long do we have? And, like, we immediately cut outside where Sam is doing the countdown. And as she gets to, like, three, you see it gets shot out of the ship like a missile. <laughs> and it just blows up in the sky above the ship. Speaking of radiation, I love how they just, once again, gloss over potential fallout there. But, you know, whatever. It's cool. I don't think Nakwoda really has, like, a- it's not in the Quadria. What happens when it gets, you know- Exploded. That could cause a chemical reaction. That we don't I know. Think if they've actually blown know. up Nakwada before now. Not, I mean, I know I'm, I'm sure they have. Threat, but I don't know no, if they actually blew some up, it up on Ra's ship in the original movie. There's a yeah, but we weren't there for that. Yeah, but um, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think they've done it in their own proximity. Uh, yeah. In a way that's going to sooner or later affect them. Honestly, they're on their way out anyway. It's not like it's a bad idea, and the ship is potentially still pretty distancey away, and who knows how far away yeah. that distance is? Because again, as a, at this point, perspective is hard. Yeah. Perspective, uh, but not. it does. It does <laughs> amuse me. It's like, okay, cool. So now you have two timers. Outrun yeah, exactly. potential, whatever the fuck that's gonna be coming down. But yeah, so Daniel is basically like, hey, so good news. Daniel brings Lotan back down. He's like, hey, so good news. Uh, we found the Incarn homeworld. I know you guys didn't want to leave this place for uh, when we didn't have an answer for where we we're gonna take you. How do you feel about going home? How do, we, how do you feel about seeing the rest of your your uh, race? You like that answer? I do love how Daniel takes the time to do a fake out, though. He goes, so he can't stop and he won't. And Gaeta has enough time to go, how is this good news? And he goes, oh, well, that's because we found your home. It's like, he's a little piece of shit. I this love is Daniel. not the time or place to bury the lead, <laughs> asshole. I love how you had time for this. Like, it, this isn't the case of episode has time for this. It's been a while since I quoted Cinema Sins on this one, so just in case, that it was a Cinema Sins thing. It's not my creativity. But seriously, this isn't like episode has time for this. This is, Daniel, you don't have time for this. It isn't quite the same level as uh, when Teal'c was in the air pocket, and I was joking that, Jack, while you're doing this, <laughs> while you're talking oh, yeah, this right. out, your friend is literally That's suffocating. Dramatic, romantic moment. It's like, he has me. a limited amount of air. Rick, while you're doing this bit, your brain is literally melting. Jack, uh -huh. while you're looking soulfully into her eyes, your friend is literally suffocating. It's yeah. it's kind of like that. It's like, Daniel, while you're doing this shtick, 
this planet's getting literally terraformed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So he's like, hey, we, we found your homeworld. And then Sam is like, well, you know, that, that homeworld doesn't have a gate. And, and Daniel's still being a little shit. And he's like, you know, funny thing. I have a friend with a ship that could take them there. Uh, but yeah, so Daniel's like, hey, we could take you guys home. And um, I do like that, uh, you know, that Logan's like, yeah, I'll take you home and then I'll resume the, the terraforming on this planet and, you know, everything will be good. Yeah, I'll just, you, you know, be get back home recycled. And, yeah, and, and then the, the matriarch is immediately like, no, no, you should stay with us. You're one of us now. You made yourself in the image of... I, lo- I love that, like, she immediately accepts the- him into them. On one hand, it's great. I'm not mad about it. I'm really not. It's it's it even kind of low-key tracks with what we kind of see with her. She's just gentle. Yeah. She's she's great. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. With, like, you know, what limited exposure we yeah, get. Yeah. But I-, I do find it funny that no one takes into account, what if that ship needs that material back? Like, what if... Every little bit counts. I know that's not really something like we get as a vibe, but it does yeah. kind of crack me up. For all we know, they only had a finite amount. Okay, I don't know the elements that compose the human body. Let's say there's one that's hard to come by, and it's not like something you find everywhere. This could totally mm-hmm. not track. But let's say it is true. Let's say you put all of it in this, because you carried some on the off chance you needed to create some sort of carbon base, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But... You put it all in this guy, and then he just doesn't come back, and it turns out you need another avatar later. <laughs> like, oops. I don't know why you would, but again, just I find yeah. it funny that no one takes into account they're technically stealing right now. I mean, again, <laughs> they, it they gloss on over what the question of whether he's alive or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just don't even bother testing that Turing. Yeah, because we don't know how he was made or what he's made of, so all we can be is like, I guess it's fine. I guess it's fine. <laughs> the magic of vaguity, vague, vague. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, the Incarns are going to go home. This other race is going to have a new planet to restart. And everything's happy. Everyone's happy. And most importantly of all, Jack doesn't have to go back to Hammond and explain why he needs another Nakwita generator for this camp. <laughs> I do find it interesting how easy it is to turn a generator into a bomb. I do wonder, I don't know anything about this, and I, I could totally buy it if you told me they're also easily transferable, like, reconvertible back mm-hmm. to a generator, but I, I feel like sometimes in the course of making an incendiary object <laughs> of some sort, you, 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 you damage something that doesn't make it easily un- right. unmakeable. So I wonder if, like, he makes Sam just kind of low-key scuffle about sgc and pick up the parts she needs because honestly who the fuck's gonna find it uh or if he is still dreading that conversation where he's like by the way we're just gonna need a new like this and him just goes why 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 Exactly, because that's the thing, because because Hammond was like, no, I'm not going to authorize an attack on, on this, because we don't know what's going on there. Like, we're not going to just immediately attack somebody. And the fact that they're super advanced, let's not make another enemy. immediately goes against Hammond's decision on this by making a bomb out of the... Like, if, Jack, this if is why Jack's the Goa'uld hate worked. you, by the way. This is why you're at war with the fucking Goa'uld, is because right? you keep blowing shit up without thinking about the ramifications of blowing up a technologically superior species to you. Yeah, so, like, I've just, if Jack's plan had worked, if they'd gone with Jack's plan and it had worked, this, uh, the Incarans still would have needed a generator to stay warm in the winter. That was the whole point. That was the whole subtle thing about, because one of the things that 
when when Lotan was showing the other option for a planet was it's a little bit warmer and there's life there already. So the Incarans are more settled for a warmer planet. So they needed this generator to survive the winter. So if Jack's plan had gone through, if they'd used Jack's plan and blown up that ship and the Incarans could stay there, they still need a generator and you blew up their generator. So you would have to come back to SGC and be like, hey, Hammond, we need another generator. Why? What'd you do to the last one? Um, um about that. Also, what's what what's up with the uh, encroaching threat? How's that happen? Oh, well, it's gone. How how? Um, coincidentally, uh, it was nuked. Uh, yeah, weird. Weird. It just kind of blew up in yeah. the air. Uh, they're detecting trace amounts of Nakwada, Oddly enough, I don't know strange. How. Odd. Yeah, it must be the ship. <laughs> so about that generator. <laughs> yeah. So that's the end of the episode. Is uh, everybody's happy? Nobody died. Like, literally, no. Well, I mean, all the birds and bees and bugs and any so of the, the animals talk that is were gone, in that like. terraforming, they all died. Uh, but no no people died. <laughs> yeah. This probably isn't much of a question, but are you a Jack or a Daniel this I episode? I am a Daniel because Jack doesn't act like Jack half the time. Also, Daniel's just amazing. Like, like, just the whole episode, his like dialogue is amazing. Yeah. Daniel's yeah, this is a great Daniel episode. It's a great Daniel episode. So, so that's a thing. <laughs> so that's a thing. Okay, can we epi- can we end all meh episodes with that from now on? So that's a thing. Honestly, I I don't feel like it's meh. No, I book. like it. I actually do like it. It's just much more meh yeah. than... I thought it was going to be shitty. Then at the end, I'm like, you know, it's not that bad. It's actually kind of good. I think it's like a, a low-tier good. There are definitely some issues, low-tier and I think most of those come from the fact that they definitely had an entirely different story originally. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I honestly, I liked a lot of things about this. Yeah, the directing episode. was terrific, so I'm gonna give it, a, I'll give it one thumbs up. There's no shakiness. The other thumb is nowhere to be seen, though. It got vaporized by the Nakoda generator bomb. <laughs> My last note, by the way, on this is uh, when Daniel comes back down from the ship with Lotan, he says, we found the original homeworld. And I love yeah. we. Fucking we. <laughs> like, I know you were instrumental we in helping him, like, put pieces together, but you didn't do shit. It, it, technically, the credit goes to the Gadmir because they're the ones who set, out, set, uh, set everything up. So, mm-hmm. fucking bite You're me, not wrong. we. Yeah, that is it for this week. Um, next week, we are covering episode 10 beneath the surface and the summary for this episode is with their memories erased and their identities changed the members of sg1 find themselves trapped below a doomed city on a planet of ice toiling as slave laborers can they come to their senses and make a break for the surface or will they remain enslaved underground for the rest of their lives the thing i remember most about this episode is that the memory that surfaces first for Jack is Homer goddamn Simpson. Yes! (laughs) What an idiot! (laughs) He says, Homer, he seems very important to me. (laughs) You had a son. You had... A son. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. That's going to be great. 
I was doing a victory dance, a joy dance while you were reading the, sum- yeah. uh, the summary because it's I such saw. a good episode. I love it. Can't wait. So, yeah, that's next week. We're both looking forward to that. Until then, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at itsmelnotless or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. As always, you can find links to the things we talk about during the show in our show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us on our incursion through the iris, and until next time. Bye.